Welcome to another edition of We Want to Talk About It Now, brought to you by Squarespace.com. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence. The very first website I ever created was with Squarespace.com, and it was incredibly intuitive. So for all of you out there with whatever projects you have going on, this is how you'll stand out with your professional website, portfolio, or online store. Visit them at Squarespace.com. Because we don't care. We want to talk about it now. Grief, it's what we want to talk about. We're going to be talking a lot about the Keebler-Ross model, which is super awesome. And I'm saying Keebler-Ross thing. Ironically, I know that that's not what it's actually called. Was that on a podcast with you, Sheila? Where yeah. I said, like, the Keebler-Ross, I'm like, oh, I've got cookies on the brain. <laughs> Love me some Keebler elf cookies. Also, while I'm depressed, so it kind of works. The Keebler-Kubler-Ross model. It's the only way to get through to acceptance is having some Samoas. Does Keebler Ross make Samoas? Or Keebler? No. I'm sure I'm sure Keebler Ross doesn't. Who makes the Girl Scout cookies? Girl Scouts? The Girl Scouts, I think I think they have I mean their little hands are perfect for I mean if you notice the cookies they're like quite small. So it's probably like their little 10, 11-year-old hands making it. That's probably what's going on. Also the echo is like I can hear the echo too and it's really funny cuz you sound like the wizard of oz like the Hello, like <laughs> I'm coming for your soul. Is that what the wizard of oz says? I'm going to kill you. I kind of enjoy it. So that's why I'm still talking and we haven't actually talked about grief. Something about <laughs> listening to myself I just love. It's you know it's a way for me to get better with my voice, make things sound better for everybody. This is for you guys. This isn't for me. All right. So today we have Katie, who is my wife, and Sheila, who is not on the podcast today. And we're going to be talking about something that I think a lot of people struggle with. I'm not. It's What's weird is like, I think we all are coming from a, a little bit of a different spot for this one, which is weird for all of us. But kind of interesting. Grief comes in all shapes, sizes, and forms. Like a body. <laughs> so please don't grieve shame as we go through this, everybody. You guys have been filling up the comments with just a lot of shaming with the last few podcasts. <laughs> just kidding. I can't think of anyone who's actually commented a word. You all want to do it in your little private messages to me, which makes it look like I have a bunch of, uh, what's the word? What are those, what are the women that men have that aren't their wives? Mistresses. Mistresses. Makes it look like I have a bunch of mistresses and manstresses because you all just want to direct message me like, oh, I could comment or I'm going to take up Alex's time with this 15 messages. <laughs> just kidding. That sounds, I do love when, pe when people reach out. It's just, I have no way of... I try. Anyways. So we're all coming from a little bit of a different position with this. The reason that I wanted to do this is I'm starting to come to reality with my own mortality, which is a little bit difficult. As more and more people I know die at a younger and younger age or get diagnosed with something at a younger and younger age. And what I'm finding out is I'm in this perpetual 
state of anger because all of these different things keep happening. And I'm trying to be a lot nicer person because whenever I hang around certain members of my family who are really, really angry people, it like makes me mad. And then I think this probably makes everyone else mad too. And I want to make sure, because I think anger, does anyone have the Kubler, I'm going to keep calling it Kubler Ross, the Kubler Ross model up. Like at what point does anger come? Is that like the second step? It is a second step, but this article also says that it can happen in any order. Order, yeah. So does acceptance have to be the last one though? So like what if you're like, all right, I accept it <laughs> and now I'm angry. Does Kubler, Keebler say anything about that? I think acceptance is the last stage always. Oh, okay. Because then if Thanks. you accepted it and then you went back, then would it really be acceptance? acceptance. Yeah, then you're in, then you're a, I can't say that. I, might I know what you're out. saying. You're an Indian giving <laughs> yeah. Kubler Rosser. You just take no it take back. No take backs. No take backs on this. Is that weird? I need to, sorry for tangents, but obviously Indian giver is a very racist thing to say. Where did that come from? I mean, we're the ones who took their land. You know what I mean? Is it because we like set up reservations? Like, I just don't understand where that term came from. Was that just a way of demeaning people? Anyways. I'm gonna look it up. Isn't that like a really weird thing that we say? I haven't heard it in so long. Oh, sorry. I'm antiquated. No, I, hey, my, my dad's think... almost 80, guys. So it's like I'm 50 years old. I feel like it's something we said when we were in like elementary school. But I don't know why. Uh, Anyways. So, we're five minutes in, <laughs> and all we've talked about is the Keebler-Kubler-Ross model for two seconds, and then the etymology of a racist phrase. <laughs> Next. Okay. So, I, if I was going to say some of the grief things that I'm going through, and here's what's weird. Like, grief is different for everyone. I don't think I have that difficult of grief things that I'm going through. Like, it literally is just some friends who I'm kind of close with, not that close with, who have been diagnosed with, like, debilitating disease and whatnot. And then my dad getting Alzheimer's. I mean, he was diagnosed, like, two years ago. But he got diagnosed two years ago, and it really doesn't bother me until, like, recently. And it honestly still, like, he's just so old. It's not uh, as difficult as, or maybe it is really difficult for me, and I just think it isn't because I'm, what's that word? What's the one? Denial. I'm in denial about it, and I need to get through it somehow. Because, for example, when I go home anytime... I am so confident that my dad doesn't recognize me. And people are like, well, yeah, but if you ask him if you know who Alex is, he'll say he does. I'm like, well, yeah. But then when you say this guy is Alex, he goes, no, I remember Alex is like a 13-year-old boy who doesn't have a beard. No, he doesn't actually say this. But like, I'm too scared to ask him, like, who's Alex? Do you know who I'm at, who I am? I feel like that's super disrespectful. So I haven't done it. And just coming to the realization that he's going to be gone before he's really gone is kind of weird for me. And I think most of us in the family just kind of joke around about it, which that's our defense mechanism. And I don't know if I'm dealing with it in a healthy way for future grief problems that there could be. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Well, and I, I think what you said about he's going to be gone before he's really gone is really interesting because what what really means someone's gone? I would argue it's really, like, in his case, like if he's not him anymore, then he's gone effectively to you guys. So, like, at what point do you start grieving? And I don't know. It, like, the, the conversation of, like, what actually is death, I guess, is kind of interesting. And I also sometimes feel whenever I'm talking about it, like, uh, oh, so I'm going to edit this out. If you turn, like, your volume down, the echo's way better. Like, it doesn't affect... Anyways. The thing that I've been realizing about grief, too, is sometimes it feels like a competition. Almost. And I don't want people to think, like, I'm bringing these things up because I'm struggling with them a ton. There are things that I... So, for example, a few weeks back when I'm dealing with, like, these friends who have brain cancer or whatever, like, that was just more of an existential crisis, I think, than it was, oh, my gosh, this is super, super terrible. This is going to sound so bad, but, like, I barely... Don't get me wrong. I have had a good relationship with some of these people, but like we don't have that solid of a relationship now. And it's just like a realization of like, whoa, that happened to you. That This could happen to me. And so I need to start being a little bit concerned about it at least. But the reason that I say it's the competition is because I would, if I was someone, I would look at, I'm not going to say specifics, but like you barely really know that person. You were like really good friends for a year. And like now because they have brain cancer, you really, really care about them again. I don't know, I try to look at everything from the old Alex lens of super judgment on people and oh Alex is just trying to use this to promote himself somehow which in all honesty I'm sure there's a little percentage of that within there I'm not I'm self-aware enough to realize nothing is 100% out of the goodness of anyone's heart no matter what it's there's always some part of it that you're doing things to make yourself feel better and I wonder what you guys do during the grieving stage to like make yourselves feel better, if anything. Therapy. <laughs> the podcast for me, man. Podcast is where I get all my therapy. I just get everything out. I think that sometimes you do have to like grieve certain situations to get over it. Like you have to go through some of the stages. To make yourself feel better. Just because if you don't grieve it now, then it might come up later. So grieve it and then get over it and then. Well, like what's a proper amount of time to grieve something like? There's no proper amount of time. It also depends on the person and their mental state. So just like, for example, like how long do I have to let somebody grieve before I'm like, hey, you want to know what? I'm not going to be involved in this grieving grieving process anymore you need to figure it out on your own because like that can be a grief doesn't just affect the person that's grieving it affects those that are around you as well depending on how you grieve obviously and everyone's probably thinking oh so alex is bored of katie's grief or whatever if she's going through grief right now that's not what i'm saying but do you know what i mean like that's why i know everyone needs like time to do it on their own do it their own way but I don't be, think there there's be, like a time there has limit to be a time for it anybody. Ends, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's less about a time limit, and at what point it might seem like it's it's 
the grief is continuing because it isn't being dealt with in a healthy manner or as healthy as it can be. So, like, some people... And, like, gr- grief manifests in different ways. Like, in my my own experience with my dad passing away a year and a half ago, um, like, you know, it started with, like, the tears and, like, the anger and the, the, like, severe sadness. And it's become more of, like, a dull, like, you're always aware of it, but I've come to terms with it. So, like, you could still say, like, I'm still grieving. Like, I don't know if I'll ever not grieve, I guess, but there's different severity of it and I think some people experience some of it just a lot more intensely and I think to Katie's point earlier like you have to you have to actually you actually have to grieve like you can't bottle it up um because then it comes out in probably unhealthy ways like what you might be alluding to and that's the hard part for me too is knowing the definition of what grief or grieving is because I'm sure we all have our own special definition of it. Because like you just mentioned too, I'll probably be grieving for the rest of my life or whatever. But part of me is like, I wonder if that's grief or if it's just some sort of humble remembrance. Yeah, that's thing. a good as opposed point. To like, as opposed to like, oh, I'm just going to forget about my dad so I don't have to grieve about this anymore. Yeah, because, I mean... Man. Oh, sorry. No, I, you can go. I think about like in your example like when is it when is it too long I think you have to look at what how is it manifesting and if it's having a negative impact like broadly um to that person and beyond that person and like how how they're handling it because I mean some people just really struggle like depending on how big of a tragedy it was or how much it impacts them like I would say someone who um we had a close friend who who died recently and like, I think about his wife all the time who spent the last, you know, 30, 40 years waking up next to the same person in bed every day, and now that person's not going to be there. And just the, the empty house, the the every anniversary, every milestone, everything not shared with that person, like, that's going to take a long time to adapt to your new normal um, versus maybe someone that was important to you but you didn't see every day, so it doesn't impact your day-to-day in the same way or how long the um I I don't know what the correct word is but like the death process is like um like it's like for your your case Alex like you're watching your dad's illness take over over time it's a very yeah it's a very long process versus maybe someone who um it happened quickly or in you know instantly like the car accident so I think all like morphine versus heroin Sorry? So, like, I feel like with my dad, it's like a morphine situation where you get this slow drip over time. That's not going to make you become dependent. But you use heroin, and then you're constantly chasing the dragon after that. But obviously the exact opposite type of emotions. It's not this euphoria, but this depression all the time. Because I actually have a question for you, Sheila. Because you mentioned, like, oh, you know, the spending, they were in bed 30 to 40 years, each other, and it's affecting the day-to-day. What was that like? Because I'm thinking about my friend who I never see anymore who has a brain cancer. If he died today, I would be very, very sad, but I feel like I would get over it rather quickly, which probably makes me sound like a terrible person. But with your dad as an example, because I don't know your relationship that well, like the irony we were talking about recently where I don't think I ever met your dad, ever talked to him. And to be fair too, 
this isn't, I don't want this to come across negatively about you, Sheila. So if you want me to edit this out, tell me. I don't remember you and I ever talking about him. I know we talked about your mom, but it's because your mom was involved. Like you lived at your mom's house when we were first like starting to hang out and stuff. So I was in instinctively, not instinctively, I was naturally around Joe Ellen all the time. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and I think when what we was were, that like for you? Because yeah. Yeah, and well, and I think when we were friends, my dad. So this is part of the story, but like my dad had moved to um, Southern California with my brother. So like that was like early high school for me. So he he wasn't physically around, um, but he was still. Uh, it's interesting because like I haven't lived near my dad in a long time, and I was thinking about how after. Uh, you know, after basically high school, I would see him a few times a year. And you start to think about like all of the like people that you move away from, like your parents, your grandparents, whatever. And you start to realize like you're probably only going to see them, you know, a handful more times um, if you don't go home often or whatever. Anyway, um, but uh, I think it was for me it didn't impact my day-to-day as significantly, obviously, as if I lost Aaron. Um, but I I think my grief was centered more around him and, like, coming to terms and understanding some things about him and his life and having more empathy. Um, and it's, I, I don't think I ever um, idealized him in death. Like, I think I stayed pretty... Uh, honest with myself about like, who flaws. he was. Yeah, I just think I had more context and explanation that I understood once I had a little bit more space to, to think about them. Um, I still I still have dreams about my dad like most nights and it's been a year and a half and that's very strange to me because it's not like I've ever had dream patterns before. So he's very much a part of my conscious and subconscious I guess um and you know maybe there's multiple reasons for that but I think it's been easier to go about my day-to-day like it's not slapping me in the face all the time um but when I think about it it's you know things remind me of him and it's just how how often are things reminding me of him do you think if you hadn't have witnessed the super traumatic experience of like hopefully this isn't sharing oversharing too much like of legitimately watching him die do you think it would be any different like if it would have just been for some reason you were on lunch break or whatever you know like your dad was in the hospital for a while so you can't just be by his bedside 24 7 forever without going crazy do you think if you would have been out of the room when that happened it would have been less impactful overall um yeah so i What's actually one of the more traumatizing parts, and I, I know before we did this, I was saying, like, I finally have decided to say it's okay to call it trauma. Like, I felt really dramatic for saying trauma. Like, it's reserved for, like, uh, war and rape victims. But Well, specifically PTSD, right? Is yeah. What you, I, I think you said was being dramatic. Yeah, well, even just calling it, like, a traumatic experience, like, uh, it felt like I was being so dramatic, like, but now I think it was. But, yeah, I think the, the part that was really hard is that I had, so I'd spent the week with him, um, you know, during the day, and then we'd go home and sleep at night, and then he, like, 
I don't know how far into the story we want to get, but like towards the end, like that last day, he uh, was on a, they were about to put him on a ventilator because his body couldn't get enough oxygen anymore. And so I was alone with him and um, I could just tell he was like, you could just, he, he was, his spirits were fine, but I could tell he knew that this was the end. And I bent, I, I needed to go tell the rest of the family, like they're gonna put him on a ventilator at which point he will not be able to speak anymore. Um, so I gave him a kiss uh, on his head. I was like, you're the best dad ever, I'll be right back. And it was literally in the, the what, 30 seconds I walked out of the room that he died. Um, that he went into cardiac arrest, um, and my and it was because he he vomited and he couldn't sit up to get to expel it from his body, so he suffocated. Um, and his wife was behind the curtain just washing her hands, and so it was in that thirty second span, basically, of me walking out and her walking in, that um, that happened and. Then I, you know, she she told me like he's. I got a text right basically as I walked out that he uh, had no pulse, um, and I like ran back in, and uh, he because he was in the ICU and all my family like his sister, his sister and brothers and whatever came in and then seeing him, um, they had like a whole team trying to do CPR and revive him and uh that part was really really traumatic like actually seeing people working on his body because at that point I felt like it was like two feelings like he's not there anymore so this is somehow grotesque to me like like I felt like he had already gone and it felt it just felt really weird and wrong and then on the other hand, like I thought, if he is in any way aware of what's happening, this is horrifying. Like nobody is with him that he knows. And then when I found out it was in that that span and what happened, I was I felt like it was my fault because um, I wasn't there to to help him up. Um, and I've come. I've, I've so those two things were like the worst. Um, but. I've come to terms like it wasn't my fault it was going to happen anyway like it was just a matter of when and um I'm glad that the last thing I said to him was that I loved him and that he was a great dad but sorry yeah and it's it's interesting to I don't and this isn't like I don't want to make this into like a competition that's really not what not what this question is for but I'm curious, because this is what scares me. What scares me is that your experience is not necessarily unique. And I don't say that in any way to diminish the story, the emotional impact of your story. I don't know people who've died or know people who know people who have died. And so all of my knowledge is just based on the experience of others. So specifically yours has been one, and we've talked about it a lot where a lot of my habits changed after your dad died because I'm just like, Oh, that's kind of a real thing now. Like, cause he was so young when it happened too. But does, 
this is kind of just an open question for everybody. It's kind of terrifying to think that there are more people who I probably do know, just not that well, who've gone through through something similar. And I have no idea. They have a bad day, and I just think, oh, that person's a dick. Like, you're being a dick today. But I wish that I did know so that I could empathize better. And I know it's not one of those things where, like, you just, all right, I need to overshare and let everybody know. But I almost wish that people would do that. Like, just so I can... I can give them, and once again, everyone's like, oh, way to go, Alex. You just took that thing and made it all about you. But when I say myself, I just mean for everybody else. Like, I think there's some sort of beauty and community dealing with these problems because we can help. Uh, even if we can't, like, for example, I can't even really empathize with you, Sheila, because I don't even, maybe I can't empathize. I don't know what empathy means. <laughs> um, but... Because I haven't experienced before. And so, like, I hear that story. I'm like, that sounds insane. And I, w- I don't even know. All I know is, like, hey, it's it's all right. It's all right. And that feels like those kind of platitudes are, feel so stupid to me and are hard for me to express to people. I don't know. So, Sheila, I just wanted to say sorry that you had to go through that. That seems really, really difficult. And I'm glad that you realize that you're not at fault. Um, but I think I can understand because I've seen people in that situation, not my dad, but family members. And it's really hard to see somebody in a hospital bed dead or on a ventilator just on the last few days or hours of their life because it's, it's traumatic either way because it's somebody that you thought you knew and then you don't recognize them in that situation. And you don't want to see them that way. You don't want to remember them that way, but that's how you do remember them. And it's really hard. So I'm really sorry. That's, I'm glad that you're able to like get through it though. <laughs> Even yeah. though you always have that like dull pain, like you were saying. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think that's a really, a really good point is that the one of the things I wanted to forget essentially, and I wanted to forget it was how he was at the end. Not because, because it wasn't him. Like it, uh, my dad died of like complications related to liver failure. And at the end, like there was so much, um, fluid and pressure on his vocal cords that he sound, he literally sounded different. It like made his voice like a little higher pitched and he looked bad because he was, you know, he had um, jaundice. And so he, so to your point, like that was a very big part of it is like the days and weeks and months following, that was how I kept thinking about him. And I've tried really hard to think about, like look at old photos and think about memories before that because that was his life. Like that was the majority of his life. And I, like, I don't feel, I don't feel guilty about that. Like, I feel like that's how he'd want to be remembered too is not, not that last week. Um, but I totally agree like that, that it's not, it's not them. It's not them that you, you know, or the way you knew them. Are you happy you were there though? Yeah, now I am. Um, I think that, you know, I've, I've been in therapy for a while and I have reframed like the stepping out of the room to be that the last thing he heard was something um, kind and I think 
I think he knew what was going to happen, and maybe it was a small, uh, I don't know, I don't know if what's the right word, but like saving grace that maybe like maybe he did, he wouldn't have wanted anyone to be there in that moment. Um, I don't know. Like I think there's a lot of ways that we try to rationalize some of these things, but I'm I'm glad that I was I was there with him at the end, and I think too like going through this, I can. I feel like I can empathize with people a little bit better. Whereas before, like looking back at it, I, I couldn't, like I, at least for me, like I was like, wow, that's so sad. I imagine what my life would be without the analogous person that that person lost. But it's it's the, the death process that was like new to me and was really uh, impactful, I guess. Well, there are so many different kinds of death processes that you go through like either an illness or like a sudden death like a car accident and I think that once you do go through something like that you can understand what other people go through just a little bit better even if it's not somebody like super close to you and so I've had people in my life die since I was the age of four or five and so hearing other people's stories, I'm like, that must be really hard, and I understand just a sliver of it because it was never somebody super close to me. So but. That's something that I struggle with is, like, I don't feel like I've had death in my life in that way. So once Grandma, Grandma Skinner died in 2004, but she got Alzheimer's, like, in 1999, so she was kind of already gone. So I was nine when she had it we weren't super close grandpa skinner died when i was like four years old in 1993 grandpa ballard who i never talked to in my entire life died whatever aunt judy who i wasn't really super close with died of cancer like kind of young but i think she was in her 60s so i don't know silver lining that she was a little bit older i i, I honestly struggle so much with like what to do and what to say. And that's actually something that I would be interested in knowing specifically from both of you, if you have more experience in it, like what are we supposed to say? I've heard, and here's what sucks too. Like everybody's an individual. So even if it works for both of you, it might not work for others. I always have no idea where to go with it. Like, Hey, like, like even with you, Sheila, just like, all right, have, have, enjoy a dinner at Root and Bone. <laughs> Like, and when you really put it into context, a dinner at Root and Bone, I I I realize how ridiculous that kind of is. Like, oh, the, this very traumatic experience. And here's the thing, too. I had no idea how traumatic the experience was until your recounting of it right now. And you've told me previously, like, that you were there while you were working on him, while they were working on him giving CPR. I didn't know the vomit part, and that makes it way crazier, scary. The fact that you left... And that there was some, like, another person who was coming in, like, I didn't know the entire particulars of it. And I struck, and once again, not to make this about me, but I just want to be a better person and help people when they're going through this. What is the protocol of things to say? Because my defense mechanism is I just start making jokes. I start making jokes that I think are at least semi-appropriate. So, for example, like, I don't think I joked at all about, like, your dad in particular. But with that other death that you had, like, about, like, four weeks ago and, like, our little text conversation, that was just my go-to. Because I'm like, 
not quite the same. Like, yes, a longtime family friend, but you probably spent less time with him than your dad. I don't know. And so I'm just like, oh, all right. I'm just going to bring some levity to the situation. I have no idea what to do. Yeah, <laughs> oh, well... Little old me. <laughs> well, in that situation, I think that, that that friend's death impacted me so much because I now see that I was drawing a lot of... Um, parallels to my dad so I was like projecting some of or I don't know if that's the right word but um so that's also just side note like interesting that every death that has followed I feel like I am it like hurts more somehow um but uh because you get it yeah and, and it's like a little bit like it takes you back to like the traumatic moments for you and so you're kind of like reliving those and then you're thinking about those people like in this case his family and like the things that they're feeling and how you know how bad that feels and there's nothing you can do and like yeah you start it's kind of both sides but um I think like from my I think of course everyone's different from my perspective I have never I think compared to my wedding like my, my wedding and the death of my dad were the times I felt the most love it ever like the the outpouring of support that I got from people all in their own ways was which I recognize like everyone had their own way of trying to show that they cared was astonishing to me and was um it meant so much whereas like I've sent cards to people who've lost people before and I think like my words mean nothing like I know that like there's nothing that can be said so like why even bother like they're my what my words are going to make them feel better and now I realize like for me it meant the world to me that people thought about, about like my family in that time and and most of the people didn't know my dad so like it was more about hey we care about you and how you're doing and then the people who had some sort of experience I also appreciated when they said something nice about my dad like um, and because so few people knew him, it was, maybe that's why it stood out more is because there weren't like, most people were just saying like, so sorry for your loss. But I just think being there and just, and just saying like, I'm here to support you. Like, I'm so sorry. Like those things, of course it doesn't take away. Like you can't bring the person back, but you know that you're surrounded by people who care about you and care about what happened. And however that manifests like i personally appreciated every single thing like there is no one that offended me in the in the process because i knew if someone was saying something it was, or doing something it was coming from the right place granted like that's me i don't know like other people might be more sensitive they might there might be trigger phrases or things um but or maybe like no one said anything offensive to me like, I've heard of people saying, like, oh, well, at least it wasn't this or whatever. Like, minimizing your grief in an attempt to help you. Like, I've heard that. No one said that to me. Um, I also, on the flip side, like, now whenever anyone uh, close to me, like, loses someone, um, it's it's hard because, like, I, well, I, I write to them always now because I know how much it meant to me. But the words feel even more empty. Not empty, that's not the word. I just, like, what I want to do is give that person a hug. Like, because that's all that, like, I wanted physical 
contact with people, like to be held down or to be held. And I don't know how to explain that because it was a very unique like feeling, but like someone physically holding on to me made me feel better for the weeks that followed um, my dad's death. And I think, I think it just comes down to like human relationships and knowing people care about you and um, all the people that you still have around you that are going to help you get through it. And you're not alone. And I don't know, that's kind of a long answer, but. And that physical contact, would that be like from anyone? When I say anyone, I don't mean like some random stranger, which actually that might have helped too depending on the circumstance, but would that be like anybody holding you or like, did it have to be someone like there had to be some sort of connection with, with them? I think that people became more vulnerable. Like they let themselves be more vulnerable. And I also let myself be more vulnerable because like I had, I also had more perspective in that moment. I, like I came to, this is related, but a little bit of a tangent. Like that's when I really came to the conclusion that like none of this stuff really matters. Like my job doesn't matter. Like my relationships matter. Like what, what impact I leave on other people is what's more important than like any salary, like what, you know, like all of the things that I, I may have been measuring my life in. And so I think I was more vulnerable when people would talk to me about it. Like, especially when I went back to work, I was astonished by like how open people were and how quick they were to like give me a hug um you know work isn't a place where necessarily people hug um but also like just my family like I I it's kind of like you just wanted to be grounded like I I don't know um it, it might even go back to like being a kid and like you want to feel secure I I honestly don't know I just remember like I kept finding people to just like be with um and I'm not normally like a very uh, physically affectionate person so I don't know I think it was people showing that they cared and if a stranger did that and they were not weird like I would have welcomed it with open arms I appreciated it just like a human connection I'm so sorry that your dad died would you like to come back to my room with me um, <laughs> uh, I have a question about that not about what I just said so we, I asked you this question and the answer that you gave was the right one. I was like, would you give up your job to have your dad back? You said, I'd, my dad back. Absolutely. Kind of want to do a little twist on that question, just out of curiosity. Now with all the experience that you've gained from this, with all the empathy that you can have for other people, literally no stakes at all. There's no stakes for you. Would you give back this last year and a half of going through the stages of grief, basically give that up to just have your dad be back? It's an interesting question because death is inevitable for everyone. Um, And I don't. In that year, in this in this exercise, in that year, could he live beyond that year? Could he? Yeah, live? yeah. So, so it would be. Let's just say, what's a good? When do I want to die? Like 80, <laughs> 85, Whenever I start to poop myself, um, is that is that like when people start pooping themselves? Is that like eighty five or ninety? I don't Maybe know. When do you have to start wearing adult diapers again? That's when. That's a. It varies. When I start. 
It very, oh gosh, so it could like start in my sixties. <laughs> so depending, <laughs> so depending on, like, just it's ultimately full life, which I, which was weird. What's a, what's a full life? Like, did Kurt Cobain live a full life to the age of twenty seven? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know what the right, but it would be yes beyond that year. It'd be like let's say twenty twenty more years. Like I could I could go until back you're fifty in time. until you're fifty. Yeah, just, I mean, like, it's not like I get him back for a year in exchange for the year. Correct. Um, yeah, I would do that. Yeah. Because I, I think if it, if it was, like, under the... If he had... Because he, his death was preventable. And so if there were opportunities for him to not die that way, I, I don't know. That seems like it would be the kind thing to do. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I... I would assume too. Like I'm still gonna learn a lot in the year that the new year that I would have after that. There's always things to learn from life, and there's like I'm, I know we're all in for more death. Like not to be morbid, but um, if we're talking about the qual like the benefits of character building, um, I'm gonna have more opportunities. I wouldn't mind waiting a few more years. Yeah. You know, like. And I think that, like, even going through an experience of, like, seeing somebody in a really bad um, state of health, that you still are able to, like, grow from that. And you still grieve from it, but not as much as you would, like, a death. So, like, for example, if you still went through that experience with him in the hospital and he ended up um, coming out healthy, you would still be like, well that was scary that was a close call maybe i should work on my relationships with people around me to like that's true and you could still empathize with people that do go through experiences like that that was a maybe, close call yeah yeah i think that's what the hardest thing for me well I, I need to be careful with my superlatives one of the hard things for me is actually question for you sheila instead of me being open i'm gonna force you to continue to be open um <laughs> Uh, crap what was the question what impact if any is there for you now with the realization that there is or for the belief that you hold that there's likely no afterlife do you think that this experience would have been any different um, thinking that there was something after this that's a good question um Yes, I think it would have. Been. So I think the traumatic part of it, um, as far as like the story I described earlier of like walking out of the room and then seeing them working on him, I think like that part wouldn't have changed. Um, hard either way, yes. That hard, yeah. That's that's that sucks either way. But I think you know, I, I'm sure there would have been comfort in thinking that he's in a better place and. Um, you know he has he has another chance at happiness like whatever I don't know though I've, I've kind of come to terms like it's not like he's gonna know any different um, or we're none of any of us are gonna know any different if you if you don't believe that there's an afterlife so it's like I, I don't know I think I was more struck by I know I've heard, you've heard this but like everyone dies alone like, you truly are completely alone. Um, and that part to me was 
really sad. Um, and that's where, like, I didn't have the religious heat. Like, I feel like if I was still um, a believer, like, I wouldn't have felt like he was really alone. I would have felt like he was, you know, with God or whatever, like, being taken through that process and that there was a purpose to it. But I think it was harder to just be like, well, well, we're all going to die and we're all going to die alone. And that... I, I, it's it just like stuck a lot more witnessing it than anything else had because there's nothing you can do like you can't even if I had been there like holding his hand like it was still horrible for him like he's probably not thinking about that he's you know like your body's going into overdrive trying to figure out how to keep you alive like there's all kinds of crazy things happening so I don't know I guess my I don't have a straight answer but so I have like a selfish approach on that. So like not knowing that there's an afterlife, like if there is no afterlife, if somebody dies in my life, I automatically just think of like, I will never see them again. And that is the hardest part. Uh, yeah. But for me, but the alone part too, I think that's also really, really sad and scary to think about. But like, that's what the weird thing for, for me is, is I see all of these people who are believers and how much grief there is. I think it's the, it's the biological human consciousness reaction proving that there isn't an afterlife. We all at some sort of basic animalistic level, I don't want to make this podcast about this, but this is what I'm, this is what terrifies me the most. And all those believers out there are probably thinking, well, just, just come back. I'm just like, no, that's not going to do me any good. But the, the terrifying thought and feeling deep down inside of us that we all kind of know as much as we don't want to believe it it's all over and that is so hard for me to come to terms with like Sheila if there's two things obviously that I took from your from your father's death where don't don't drink too much or actually I shouldn't say don't drink too much like just don't do stuff to damage your liver so that includes ibuprofen everybody um, crap, where was I going with this? Oh, and then also just like trying to make the most out of the relationships that I have in my life. Not to say that you or your dad didn't like make the most out of your relationship or whatever, but really taking advantage while we can of all those. And I hate how we waste basically 33% of our life at work I know it's a necessary evil. We need to have money so that we can have the nice things that we have so that we can go and enjoy the relationships with these people that we know. But golly, gee, Jehoshaphat's, man. It's it's like we wait. And, and I know that we can have relationships at work, but the relationships that I make at work, so there's like 100 people that I know at work, I'm close with maybe 10 of them. And then of those 10%, I'm close with maybe half of them outside of work if that makes sense because they're all busy with their families which i get like having having really close relationships with your kids with your wife etc even if your wife sucks um but that's what is a big motivator for me now is taking advantage of every moment while i still can and then having to come to the realization too of, you want to know what? This relationship might not be worth putting my time into. I should be putting my time into this other relationship 
And then coming to the realization of inverting that and then going, and maybe that's the choice that that person's making about the relationship with me. They realize that my relationship isn't as important in their entire life as other relationships that they have, even though I view it as something that should be important and having to deal with that internally that I'm not as great as I think I am and then coming to terms with that because if I were going to say the biggest area in grief I've ever had to deal with, it was leaving leaving the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons. But even then, like the way that you describe what happened to your dad, nothing near as traumatic ever happened to me as I was leaving. Like losing my heavenly father was nowhere near as bad as losing your earthly father who was significantly flawed compared to this perfect heavenly father that we have. And to me, there's something really like beautiful about that, that this person, I'm thinking of my own dad, this person who has his problems, he said his racist things in his, in the past. He's said off colored jokes to girlfriends. He's done like a lot of, of like these really bad things, but he's also done so many amazing things that, my Heavenly Father never did for me because Heavenly Father was never there. And it really does give me this, even though my brother, or not my brother, my dad and I aren't that close because there's 50 years between us. Um, it makes that relationship way more special for me than it was in the past. So when I grieved my Heavenly Father, I gained all of these new rich perspectives with all of my earthly relationships that I had that made them so much more special than they probably ever could have been. So literally the best thing that has ever happened to me is losing that faith, even though it was hard. And I went through the stages of grief and I got mad. I got angry. I told everybody that they were stupid for what they believed in. I told everyone all of the little things that I had learned about the religion to try and like persuade them to leave. But then it came down to, you want to know what? I just want to have a good relationship with you. So if you believe these things, that's totally fine. I just want, knowing that I have probably 30 to 50 years left with the age that I'm at right now, barring any major accidents or brain cancer that could just sneak up on you, I just have to take full advantage of what I have now. And you know what? Sometimes I'm going to play video games for a few minutes, and that's fine. Like it's, I, I need to stop beating myself up over that you can't constantly be engaged in relationships with people that's impossible you'll burn yourself out and probably bring a, a quicker demise to your life but i just want to uh i just want to express to both of you you know since you're both super important people to me like i very much value the relationships that i have with both of you and i'm very grateful to know that i have people who who strongly care about me and would be there for me in the drop of a hat, which I don't know where the drop of a hat term came from. <laughs> um, but it's just nice to know, even if I don't have 100,000 people who care about me, I have that nice handful of maybe 10 to 20 people who really do, and and it's going to be fine. Everything Everything's going to be fine. And to all those people out there who are constantly stressing about things like all the superfluous stuff, like besides making you money, work is not that important. 
I say this all the time. When you're on your deathbed, if the thing that you think about was your time at X, Y, or Z job, you lived a horrible life. That's going to sound bad. But to your point, Sheila, it really is those relationships that are going to be what's important. And if you want to get like super granular, like that's really all that's going to end up mattering in the end because those relationships you build, that's where your immortality is going to be. I say that to my my parents all the time. It's like the impact that you have on us will impact our kids, will impact the people we interact with. That's where the true immortality lies. And that's kind of a... That's, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm coming to terms with it. And I, just, I, I know that I still need to get better because I still get angry and super judgmental all the time. But I just need to realize, you want to know what? And I'm not there. I don't want people to think anytime I'm ever talking about stuff like this, like I've, I've solved the riddle. Because there isn't, there isn't a end-all be-all in any situation in life. So bringing it back to grief, I think that it doesn't matter how we grieve bringing or how long. Bringing it back to grief. Well, no, and <laughs> tying it into what you were saying, um, it doesn't matter how we grieve or how long we grieve. It just matters what we gain from it. But don't you think it's bad if like you just grieve for the rest of your life, though? Like that's what scares me. Like I don't want, I don't want anyone to, like, like death is an inevitable part. And I know specifically we're talking about death when we're talking about grief right now. There's tons of other things that we can be grieving that doesn't have to do with death. I think grief generally just has to do with a loss of something, whatever that might might be. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's... But then you're not gaining the right knowledge of it. Like, for example, if it's inhibiting your relationships or inhibiting the way that you, like, treat others, if you're not treating others well or if you're, like, incapable of doing anything besides... Um, grief then it's not the right way to live like that sounds really stupid but but like like that's why my point is like at some point maybe you can like have like your low level of grief going on or whatever but significant grieving where you're like crying all the time about it that's when you need to get help medical help like if it's she and i got in a little bit of an argument about this where i was just like the i feel like what the problem is is there's all like this I'm not I'm not victim blaming here, Sheila. But like I if I would have known how traumatic that experience was, I might have and that's not your responsibility. I don't want that to come across like, you need to tell me the guy not grieving so that I can help you out. Like that's not what I'm saying here, but I think there is some beauty in not just going to therapy. Don't get me wrong, go to therapy. I'm not saying don't go to therapy. I don't wanna be one of those crazy people, but there is something special and powerful about community and being able, and it's kind of like what Sheila was describing where it's like, Oh yeah, all these people reached out to me. It was great. It was awesome. I wish that we could do that more, not just with major things that happen in people's life and really help people. I feel like we're so focused on ourselves all the time that we don't help anyone else get through their tough times to like be happy because we just don't know that it's happening. We don't know that that struggle is happening to be able to help them get through it. Well, so a couple thoughts. One is like, 
the reason I haven't told or the reasons I have not told many people that particular, like actually probably Aaron and then my family that was with me at the time when I like broke down crying, realizing like, you know, in my mind it was my fault. I haven't told anyone really outside of that. One close friend actually who had a, she lost her sister to cancer and we had a long talk. And so I felt like she could kind of understand the trauma um, and it's it's actually, sorry, to rephrase, it's not that I don't think other people can't understand it. It's that telling it feels like you're, mm, I don't know if burdening is the right word, but it's like, I don't, I'm not looking for pity. I'm not looking for sympathy. Yeah. I'm not like, I love what you're saying about like, if we were more open, we would understand and empathize with each other better but it requires vulnerability on both sides. And also sometimes we're, we're not ready to talk about it. Like talking about that was so painful to me for a while. I wanted to bury it because I just kept thinking it, it, there's so many emotions tied to that and like reliving it after I had already grieved so much was like bringing it back. And like, you don't necessarily want to do that to yourself or to other people. Cause then you're, like it's on that person to react to you and then you feel awkward because you don't want that person to feel awkward about the appropriate reaction right so like if I had wanted to talk about it like I still it, that's why I liked therapy because I wasn't burdening someone or I wasn't setting like there was no expectation for how she should respond to me I was just saying what happened and it took a while for me to actually tell that part of the story because it like, I think I had to deal with some other things first before I could, like, put more attention on it. So, I, I, I don't know, full circle, like, I think it's a, I, I too wish that we would all talk about these things a bit more. But it's like, even, even like, um, the anniversary of my dad's death this year, I don't remember if I, I think, no, I don't think I posted anything. Even, like, posting something to be, like, on, on social media felt like, look at me, look at me, feel sorry for me, feel sorry for me. Like, I'm um, exploiting my dad's death for attention type of thing. But, like, from your perspective, I feel like what you're saying, and not specifically to social media, is, like, if we were all more real with each other and more vulnerable and more honest and we shared these experiences, there's something really beautiful about that, which I totally agree. I just think we live in this, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining this well. In, our, in a selfish world? Or like, yeah, or like the, it's just more judgmental, I guess. Like if I had posted that, you know, some, some nice tribute to my dad and like sharing the experience, um, like we, I think we've talked about, I don't, I don't know. I haven't actually talked about this with a lot of people either, but like how bad the healthcare system was and how that affected a lot of the experience and made it more traumatic. Um, like I've thought about talking about that, not to be political, but because it's, it's kind of horrifying um, to experience when you're going through an experience such as losing a significant person of your family and like trying to find people that you can kind of share that, share those experiences with, I guess, um, or can relate. But like going out and doing that publicly in a social media format as an example, like all I can think about is it just sounds like I'm, I want attention and um, it just feels like kind of icky, 
But I also see other people do it. And sometimes I'm like, oh, man, I'm really feeling for them. Like, I don't think that judgment at all. So I don't know. I, I just think it's hard. Well, and I think there's a difference. Like, this is going to this is going to prove your point <laughs> because there are some people that I see. I'm just like, it's like so the similar thing like with me. If I am going to be blatantly honest about a month ago, was it a month ago? The brain cancer stuff. I feel like it was a month ago. Like when that happened, that was mainly me processing my demise and death. Like if I'm going to be blatantly honest, it took someone who was semi close to me for me to understand and young specifically because like for example your dad helped me think long like long term death so like when i'm 50 but this one made me think of immediate death like what if it ended today and so a lot of that processing i was doing was really for myself great that we got people to donate money to both of those people to help out with their with their cancer treatments and stuff. I think that's awesome, um, and I'm happy that that's what came from it. But like looking back at those videos, and I'm so happy that I did them. Like I could just see a lot of pain in myself, which I feel like I've I'm not over it, over it. But like I'm feeling a lot better now. I'm feeling a lot better because my stage of grief just happened to be about a week long. Really, it was like about 48 hours. <laughs> 48 hours where I went through every single stage really, really fast and then came out on the other side a little bit better for it. I'm sure there was a lot of judgment from people because of it. Like, whoa, Alex is super angry just judging us for not helping out with this person that he barely knows. But I don't care. Like, because, oh, all of this to say, and then I see people who are just like those posts that you're talking about, Sheila. I'm like, you barely... They aren't asking for money. Like, they're literally just posting something that's like, oh, this person died. And I go, you didn't know that person very well. They were literally a... They were a relative of your spouse who they... Like, your spouse barely knew that person. But because this is a famous person... When I say famous, I mean, like, a lot of people in the community knew him. We just want to grab a piece of that. And so it's very blatantly obvious. Like, so for example, like, oh, Chris Cornell died. Like, I think I did a post about that. Oh, Chester Bennington died. There's a huge difference between you, Sheila. I'm not trying to like educate you here, but that's what it's going to sound like. Like, you, Sheila, my dad died. And then this other person who's like, oh, my second cousin, my second cousin who's kind of famous died, everybody. Look at me, look at me. Like, and even then, I would love to talk to that person about it to get their. Ah, you know what? That's tough too. It's because I know you too. Like I know that like your grief and if like you do a post on that is real. And then when I see someone else who like I kind of know, I'm like, you are someone who definitely wants attention because you post stories every single day with you and your kids. You obviously thrive off of that, which is fine. We all do. We all like getting that support from people. But I'd still... Oh man, now I feel like I'm having a chilling effect where I'm telling people not to share their feelings because it comes down to, oh, man, this is tough. Like if I, it really is something that is affecting you, I absolutely want to help out and make things better. Like I hope anyone who saw my videos that I was doing during that time can realize like I was really struggling those two days. 
those two days were really, really hard. But I would rather have two really, really hard days than a super long, drawn-out thing. So I'm in a much better place now. I think we all grieve differently, too. So, like, maybe some people need that social media post to make themselves feel better. I'm a very personal person when it comes to that. Um, So I won't post, like, I lost this person or... I'm going to post on their anniversary, the anniversary of their death. But maybe it'll change once I lose somebody like a, a parent, sibling, or significant other. But I don't know. I also think that like like you were saying, it's something that's very, very personal. You don't want to share all the details of what you experienced because you don't want to burden people or it's just something that you hold really, really close to your heart. So you don't want to just put it on blast. I totally agree. But I think, I think one thing that we haven't hit on exactly, but it keeps kind of coming up is the finality of death. So like, I think we can make comparisons to losing our religion, um, a bad breakup, a loss of a friendship, those sorts of things. Those are all, you know, grief, that you grieve those things too. But what struck me about my dad and then therefore everyone after that is just how final it is. Like there is, and that sounds so stupid because of course it's final, it's death. But, like, everything else in my life prior that had been a loss, there was still possibility. Like, there was still potential somewhere out in the universe for things to be different, even if you eventually came to terms that they wouldn't and you accepted that. With death, like, there's there's abs- no amount of money, no amount of uh, intelligence, uh, wishing. There is nothing that can change that. Um, and... It sounds really stupid and obvious again, but like that really, really got me. And and that, and to your comments, Alex, too, it made me think about my own mortality as well, and actually more about the mortality of others, like how important people were in my life, and how maybe kind of do a inventory or I don't know of like how I, how much I need others in order to feel fulfilled and happy. Um, and how how hard it would be to truly truly lose them not like just moving away not you know our friendship ending but like thinking about the fact that my dad doesn't exist somewhere in the world is like one of the hardest parts for whatever reason I don't and I feel like this is happening every I mean I take I take that back I know this is happening every single day every single hour, probably there's 7 billion of us where there are people who are having to deal with all of these emotions that come from, from somebody dying. And I, this probably sounds, I'm sure people don't believe me when I say this. I just really, because of this realization that I have had, that this is legitimately the only time that we have, I just want to help people get back to at least some semblance of the life that they led before that major event happened in their life. How? I don't know how I can help, 
but like I'm always going to be someone. I, I think we've talked about this, Sheila. I'm always going to be there in a person's darkest hour just because I feel like I can handle it because I haven't experienced it yet. I don't know. Like maybe it's going to be harder for me once like some major death happens and then I'm just gonna be like, you want to know what guys, good luck. You can figure it out on your own, but that's who I, I want to be. I want to be that person who in the worst of times can be there for somebody, but I can only be there in the worst of times when I know it is the worst of times. I think that when you go through it yourself, you want to be there for that person because you've been through it. So you know it's really hard and you're probably going through similar experience, like similar emotions that they are because you've experienced it, but you want to be there that much more because you know how hard it is. I also wonder what it's going to take for me. Like what it's going to take to have that really significant moment in my life to happen, like what that would have to be. Like I think of the things that have made me like the most sad and depressed in my entire life. And they're really not that bad of things. Getting kicked out of school, having to wait longer than normal to like serve my mission. Like that's not that bad. Like that's super easy <laughs> comparatively. Like I would do that a hundred times, a hundred, a hundred thousand times than like somebody significant and, and i don't know what, who who that significant person would be like is it going to be katie is katie going to be like the most significant person and that's going to be like when we're in our 80s and like is like that could potentially be it like not to like belittle anyone in my family or whatnot like i just i'm like it, it kind of scares me but i'm also quite optimistic just knowing my own personality and how i how i deal with things i just don't want to bundle it all up when it does happen, I want to make sure I just get through it as quickly as possible. Not saying like that either of you bundle up your feelings or whatever. It's not my intention there, but I really wonder what it's going to be like. Not looking forward to it, but death is the great, the great, death is the great equalizer. So it is. And I think you might find as like, you don't know what you're not grieving too. Like it took me a while to realize I hadn't dealt with certain, like when I said like I buried certain parts, like I didn't consciously realize I was burying those things. So like it took a little bit of time and I feel like I actually had a very healthy, I don't know how you call what you, how you identify grieving like healthy process. grieving process, but like, I feel like I, I did fine. Um, I, and, and now it's kind of, it feels more like a humble respect for both my dad and for, like, life. Um, so, like, I don't feel like I can't function. But, like, imagine losing a child or a spouse or whatever. Like, I just, I don't know. I think you you might not necessarily know what kind of things you're going to feel until you feel them or someone helps you get to the point to realize what you're feeling. not looking forward to it but like that's kind of conversations that we've been having too it's just like well as you get older naturally more of these things are gonna start happening with more frequency because we just know more people that are in their 40s or 50s like so for example people who are in their 40s and 50s 15 20 years ago when I was between the ages of 10 and 20 I didn't know as many of those people 
at that time. Whereas now I know a ton of people in their 40s and 50s now that those 15 to now that those 15 to 20 years have passed. And so the inevitability, because I feel like the 40s to 50s, that's still way too young to be dying. Like you got to be at least in your 60s, which I think is still too young to die. But somehow different than being in your 40s and 50s because you could still have like a pretty young family, etc. I don't know, man. Death is terrifying to me. And I know that. I wonder if I'll ever get to a point where it's not. I mean, there. once again, I think there is some beauty to it because it's like, there is this finite end for you, Alex. There is this, the accounting of your life will stop at some point. So you better make sure that you're in the green before that time comes. And I don't, and that's, that's what this podcast is all of. This podcast is 100% about myself. The reason I created this, well, the reason I created this was for attention and to talk about stupid movies. But now it's 100% how I work through all of the crap that I'm going through because I know other people are going through the same thing. Even you religious people. I know, pretend to believe 100% in everything. This is still terrifying. <laughs> so I don't care how optimistic you try to sound. You have to be a socio or psychopath not to be somewhat terrified by life. But at think- the same time... I also have this positive thing, this positive view where it's like, I recognize the beauty of life and how awesome it is to even be able, even if this is all a simulation, just to be able to experience this, it's pretty dope. I think it's more terrifying the thought of losing somebody close to you because you have to go through the grieving process and that person is gone. And that's what's nice about not believe, like, because I kind of wonder about that, like from a religious standpoint, like once someone dies, I wonder if they're like, like watching you from heaven and they're just like man that sucks i'm so glad i died first <laughs> oh I'm so happy that i didn't have to go through that i'm happy that you're the one that's having to go through it i doubt that's the case well I'm very confident it's not the case but it's just a fun little thought experiment for me like what what people who are looking down at us like what they think and what they're judging us for or looking up at us in some cases All those Australians. <laughs> Man, anyone else have anything that they want to say? I like what you said about life being like a great experience. And of course, you're going to have to go through that loss eventually. But just appreciate the relationships you have and try to build them. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the one of the good things that came out of my loss was like I really like anytime something's kind of like irritating me or things that not saying I don't get irritated anymore by any means or mad or sad or whatever but like I literally say out loud or think to myself like we're gonna die one day like is this really important like is is this actually important like am I gonna let someone else rob me or myself rob me of my own happiness because like this is all I got like there in my mind there's nothing else after this I want to make sure that I do my best to enjoy my life and love on others. And I feel more comfortable being vulnerable too now because I'm like, Hey, we're going to die one day. Like, (laughs) like nothing, like, why am I like, I just, it gives me good perspective. Um, and I feel like I probably live a little bit more 
intentional and thoughtful and happier life now broadly yeah i hope that i can i hope that i'm doing that i like to tell myself that i am i think that i am but there's just so much there's so much that like because to your point sheila just thinking thinking about like oh my gosh i can't believe we didn't get all these micro graphics completed for this blog post today we're not going to be able to post this blog post today. Oh no. This is going to this is going to greatly impact the rest of the rest of human history. No, it's not. There's 1 trillion plus blog posts that nobody's reading. They're most likely not going to read yours either. So don't <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh we can post it. We can post it on Tuesday. It's going to be fine. <laughs> well, right, but what's funny is like that like that perspective is so crucial, but it's also like it makes me think about what what actually is the bigger picture impact and like sometimes it becomes it comes down to more of like your own integrity like you you it bothers you because it reflects who you your identity and who you've scoped like your who you've tried to build yourself out to be so it's like separating the things that like actually reflect you as a human and who you want to be and the things that like truly do not matter like if that if that client gets that thing tomorrow they're going to be fine like, but if, if you consistently miss deadlines, then Correct. you're building a reputation. So I think like it was helpful for me to kind of figure out how to separate and identify those two things. It's bad habits versus mistakes. Yeah. Or just, you know, things happening. Yeah, exactly. There's always, there's like life, life happens. Yeah. And I think, like unless, yeah. I was going to say, unless you're saving lives, like. None of it matters. Yeah. Like doctors, nurses, paramedics, uh, scientists working on research, whatever, you know, anyone who's saving a life, your so job matters. Please do your job. According to Sheila, there are four <laughs> jobs that matter. Scientists, you know. scientists doing research. Oh, so we researched and we found that, that chocolate actually will extend your life for five. Oh, you said for cancer? Oh, I thought you I just said, said studies. Uh, well, no, this is a health thing. If you if you eat chocolate, you have a higher likelihood of living for five plus years. That would be can great stop, research. Can we stop doing stupid research? If I have to see another post about something like bacon is good for you, eat as much bacon as you can. If I have to read another one of those posts, I'm gonna blow my brains out because <laughs> good golly, Miss Molly, like, but the amount of research that should be going to like real things. Alzheimer research, cancer research, and we have, for some reason, we have scientists studying the effects of chocolate. Now, if the response is, well, we're studying the, the effects of chocolate in response to, to cancer, but that seems like a study that could be done fairly quickly. You know what people love? Chocolate. You could probably get that study done in a year. So let's just chip, chop, chip on that and move on to the next study to figure out how we can solve cancer because we're doing an inordinate amount of stupid studies and once again, I have a feeling that these studies are actually real, but it's the framing of them from people who don't actually read the studies that makes it seem like we're doing a lot of stupid studies. So once again, I go back, there's one trillion, <laughs> one trillion blog posts out there. Half of them are about all these stupid research studies. There's, there's just way more important. Sorry for that rant there, right there, everybody. But we just focus on this, the, the, the dumbest. We care about, do we not care about the stupidest things? Like, we care about the dumbest things as humans. Like, if we had to, like, boil it down to our entire lives, 
probably 95% of our lives are spent worrying about things that essentially end up not mattering. And I just want that to stop. Like, there are, not that I'm going to be the voice who makes that stop, but gosh, we really care about a lot of stupid, a lot of stupid stuff that doesn't matter. And we need to get over it. And the next time that we have something that we want to talk about, we hope you give it a listen. Don't waste your time commenting. And from the looks of it, nobody ever really spent any time commenting. Do subscribe so that you can always get the new pieces as they come in. That's really all that I have because there's nothing else to say. Keep being better and looking forward to chatting with you next time. Okay, bitch. <laughs>